The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. What's good, everybody, and welcome to Sports Talk New York here on Long Island's WGBB. I'm Andy Sukov. I'll be your host here for the next hour on this Sunday evening, November 6th, 2022. On the show tonight, we've got Brandon Steiner coming on, and we're going to recap that insane 20-17 Jet victory at MetLife Stadium against the Buffalo Bills. Who saw that coming? I know I sure didn't. But before we begin, of course, i got to shout out my, my guy Brian Gray behind the glass. Brian, how we doing tonight? Got thumbs up from Brian? Always a good sign. Before we begin, I just want to remind everyone that you can follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You can also visit our website at WGBBSportsTalk.com, where you can listen to all past shows and check out any upcoming show information. And if you don't already, we invite you to subscribe to the podcast WGBB Sports Talk New York on iTunes, Spotify, or pretty much anywhere you listen to your podcast. So, it's November. I remember coming on the show a couple months ago, right after the Jets beat Pittsburgh. They were sitting at 2-2. Two and two, And I I had the thought of, this is a team that I expected them to be 2-2 two and two after four games. I wasn't sure what the next five games were going to bring. It was just kind of, it was kind of, alright, let's see what happens here. Zach Wilson's back. Maybe things will, will come together. Maybe they won't. And so far, through the next five games that they played, they came out and went four and one. I don't, I, I don't think anybody ever could have seen that coming from this Jet team. When you have a young quarterback who was who was injured for the first part of the season, a running back who lit the world on fire and then gets hurt, and you might have thought that that was going to bring the offense to a screeching halt. And we saw it last week that it kind of did. That not having Brees Hall last week was killer against New England. This week, a little bit different. As they, they take on another division rival in the Buffalo Bills. They go out there and they pull off an upset that we haven't seen for this Jet, for a Jets team in probably 10 years. This is this is a I, I believe this is a statement win for the New York Jets, and to go into their bye week at six and three is huge for their confidence, for fans' optimism, for General Manager Joe Douglas. That this is a team that he's putting together and getting these kind of results. That when he came on. In 2019, it was, you know, what, it's gonna take some time. Where I'm gonna have to rebuild this team from scratch. And, you know, for 2019, 2020, and 2021, that was, that was scratch. And now we're seeing, now we're starting to see the fruit of that labor. That the patience paid off. That they got, they got the wide receiver. They got the running backs. They got the defensive players. 
Like getting Sauce Gardner is one of the best things that's happened to the Jets in the last ten years. He's playing like Revis 2.0. And I love that. I love that for him. I love that for defensive coordinator Jeff Ulbrich. Love that for the fans. Because who, do, who doesn't want a guy like that on their roster at all times? When when I look at when I look at what this team can be, like for, first of all, I anybody who took the Jets at the, before the season started, and this is even like before, like just after the Super Bowls. This is like early March, and one of those things where sports gambling comes into play. You see the lines come in way early. Just how. How they've managed to think of where the win lost hole is going to be before the draft, before free agency. I, I don't know how they managed to do that. But they came up with a number of five and a half wins for the season. So anybody who back in March or April said, you know what? I think this Jet team is going to make the strides they're going to. They're going to get a, they're going to have a decent draft haul. They'll get, they'll get five, they'll get six, seven wins. I'm going to place this bet now. You're looking like a genius right now. As after nine games, they got their six wins. They went, they took that over five and a half and they said, stuff it. And that's not, at this point, now they want more. We want more. I, I'm not saying they're going to go 12 and five. Can't I can't say that because that's like there there's lofty and there's crazy. And that that'll be flirting the line, probably drifting into crazy. But to say nine and eight and ten or ten and seven is not impossible. I I could very easily see something like that happening. And I I, I know this. The Bills dealt with injuries today. You know, Trey White, they're all league cornerback has been dealing with problems. Uh, Milano was out. They had they had a lot of injuries on their defensive front. That a naysayer would say the Jets didn't beat the Bills at full strength. Guess what? I don't care. You beat what's in front of you. Just like you can't say for a team like the Bills, like they lost to the Jets. The Jets don't have their number one running back. They don't have their number one wide receiver. And Corey Davis, they don't have their entire offensive line. You play the team that's in front of you, and that's that's who you beat. That's who you lose to. And in today's case, the Jets went out there and they took care of business. I got I got to give some I give a little credit to Zach Wilson. Last week he was awful. You know he made some throws against New England that I'm sitting there looking like what like what are you doing, and how can how can you be making these plays? Today, he has one job. All I ask him to do is to limit the mistakes, don't turn the ball over, make sure that you're not the reason that the drive ends. Let it be because something else happened. And that's exactly what he did today where he he only turned the ball over once. And it was after it was basically after the sky cam fell 
and took 12 minutes to fix up. I'm hope we we kind of didn't want that, and I'm sure he didn't want that. And as Coach Robert Sala said in the press conference, only the Jets. And it's funny, you know, you get a, get a little get a cheap laugh out of it, and but sometimes you you wonder like. How like how does something like that happen to the Jets far more often than you would like to admit to? But thankfully, it didn't impact what they did the rest of the game. They made their adjustments. They frustrated Josh Allen to the tune of two interceptions, five sacks, eight quarterback hits. That's that's what you want to see from this team. Like I said, Zach Wilson goes into today after last week's terrible game, puts up 18 for 25, 154 yards. So the the yards aren't quite there, but the no interceptions, that's huge. Uh, 101.1 quarterback rating, 76 QBR, which is very good and great for him, especially compared to last week. Uh, you know, for, for a game like this, he didn't need to win them the game. He needed them to, he needed to keep them in the game, keep the ball moving. And that's exactly what he did. He did what you want, he did, he played a game manager game today. And there's nothing wrong with being a game manager. Alex Smith made an entire career on being a game manager. And he won. Like those first five years were, were pretty terrible, but the last eight outside of the injury were pretty good. Like if you said to me, Alex Smith's gonna be your quarterback, I'm not going to be too upset about that. And if for now, if Zach Wilson can do that exact thing and just and not turn the ball over, there's that's nothing to be ashamed of. Like they like he said last week, I don't want to be throwing the ball away a bunch and I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Like sometimes that's not the worst thing you can do. Live to fight another day. Don't be making throws that you don't need to and just Go for go to the next down, because who knows? Maybe the next down, the cornerback falls, Garrett Wilson's wide open down the sideline, and you launch one to him for a touchdown, or you hand it off to Michael Carter. He finds he finds a hole, and and breaks it for a forty yard run. They can't do that if you're throwing the ball to the other team. So today, seeing him not do that makes me really happy. And with that, we saw last week he threw the ball 40 times. That's not a winning formula. Today they went back to their bread and butter. They go to the run game. 34 carries for 174 yards for the entire team, averaging 5.1 yards per carry. That's phenomenal. That's, especially if you're doing that on first and second down and you're getting five yards of play, you're moving the chains, you're move, you're killing the clock, just like they did in the fourth quarter. Get the ball on their own four-yard line. Tie game, seven minutes to go. And they go out there, and they drive all the way downfield and take off five and a half minutes off the clock, force the Bills to use all their timeouts in their own zone, get the field goal, and force, and force the Bills into what became the last drive of the game. This is a team that needs to be built on their run game. 
even without Brees Hall, because Michael Carter has proven he can play the role well with 12 carries for 76 yards today and a touchdown. James Robinson coming in as he gets more familiar with the Jet playbook. I think he'll become more of a factor in the run game. Even Zach Wilson himself can become a part of the run game. You know, we, we saw it today with Josh Allen. He's he's an integral part of the Bills' offense, not just throwing the ball. And, and he's really, really good at it. But he, he went out there and ran for two touchdowns, including a 35-yard score that there was nobody around him for miles, it looked like. And that's something that the Jets can do, too. And, like, that. When, when they're watching film over the next couple of weeks as they watch what that, what that, I'm hoping Zach Wilson's watching that play as well and saying, hmm, I can, I can do that too. Because he, he's not Josh Allen. He's not Patrick Mahomes. But he can be that person who's going to help you win. And I, I want to see that be I want to see that be something that he can really get to that next level. I, I think he can get there. And what I, what I want to see is that that happens. Just like we, we all do as Jet fans. We, we don't want to be, we don't want to be going through the process again and again and again of waiting for all, for the next quarterback to show up. Like we 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 as fans want to see our guy finally be the guy, and there's been plenty of criticism for Zach Wilson, and it a lot of it is valid. You know, ma- makes bad decisions. He throws off his back foot. He throws it into double coverage, and yes, he do- he does all of those things. Today, though, outside of a couple throws, which made me scratch my head. That was really much more limited today, and I think that we we need to back off the criticism a little bit because w- winning cures all things. So I, I think I think we should get off his back for a week or so. You know, now especially as it's a bye week, he he, get, he gets to have a he gets to have a couple days of us not criticizing and. Speaking of not criticizing, the defense, they don't get criticized. Even, even after that first play to Stephon Diggs, where Wilson just, or where Allen just chucked it up and, and Diggs gets it. At that first play, you're thinking, oh God, what's about to happen here? Like, it, it's going to be a game where the Bills are going to go up and down the field. They're going to score 47 points and it's going to be a nightmare. And after that, they buckled down. While Diggs still did have 93 receiving yards and Allen had 86 rushing yards and those two touchdowns, the rest of the offense didn't do all that much. The rest of the Bills had 48 rushing yards. They had 110 passing yards or receiving yards after Diggs' 93. So outside of the two of, of Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, the rest of the offense put up 150 yards offensively. That's not going to cut it in the NFL. So major props to the Jets. And like I said, two interceptions on Josh Allen should have been three. As Jordan Jordan Whitehead should have had that second one in the fourth quarter 
and that would it hit him in the hands, in the chest. That's got to be caught 10 times out of 10, and I think he knows that too. Luckily, it didn't affect anything as they managed to get the, they managed to turn them over, and and everything was fine. They got they got the five sacks, eight quarterback hits. They were putting pressure on Josh Allen, which he probably had he hadn't seen much of this season. The Bills' offensive line is pretty good, and we and that, hence the reason why they're sitting at six and two, and we'll go, we're six and one before today's game. You know they give they give Josh Allen time to find the open man. They give their running backs time to find the holes. And today, the Jets said, no, you're not doing that. You know, like I said, they're 6-3 and three going into their bye. It's huge. It, this was, as I was looking at, when they're sitting at 5-1, and one, going into, or I'm sorry, 5-2, and two, going into the two divisional games, I said, let them split. I figured it was going to be the other way around, that they would beat New England and lose to Buffalo. But that six and three going into your bye week is huge. And I, I would have, I would have been totally fine with five and four. Because who, who saw that coming? But what, once you got that taste of winning, you want more. So split, split with the two divisional opponents, especially at home for both games. Going into your bye week at six and three. And then let the rest of the season fall as it may. So they still have their three more divisional games. One against Miami at, in Miami. New England in Foxborough on November 20th, coming off the bye. And then December 11th in Buffalo. So thankfully they don't have to play in Buffalo in January when it could conceivably be a blizzard. Don't want that. So December, you still got a shot where it, it's going to be cold, but may, maybe there won't be snow, and that that's fine with me. And any Jeff fan who wants to go up to Buffalo for that game, like that, that's going to be a fun game. Like, dare I say, maybe flex into a Sunday night game. I I didn't think I'd, I'd be saying that about the New York Jets this season, that they could be flexing to a Sunday night game. But hey, if they if the two of them keep winning. That that's a prime matchup for NBC, and I I would really hope to see Chris Collinsworth sliding from the right that day. But again, that's just me. Biggest thing though with that coming through the second half, they need a road division win. They they don't play well on the road in the division, and up until this year they hadn't won a divisional game since 2019. Like they were, they were out of it. So I need to see them win a game on the road against either Miami, Buffalo, or New England. And I, I think New England in two weeks is the team that's right for, for that game. You know, they, they played the Colts today. They won. I don't think they did anything overly special. You know, they, the Colts are just bad. I mean, no, without without Jonathan Taylor and Matt Ryan not playing, you know you're relying on Deion Jackson and Sam Ellinger. Like that's not that's not a winning formula, and Frank Reich knows that. He he can squeeze as much out of them as he can, but that's not the same as having Philip Rivers or or Matt Ryan or or even Peyton Manning. 
you don't you don't have that same luxury with Sam Ellinger. And that's how and we now have um, we'll we'll come back to the Jets in a little while. Uh we have our guest on for tonight, the former former CEO and the founder of Steiner Sports and the founder and CEO of the Collectible Exchange and whose name literally hangs in every corner of my bedroom, Brandon Steiner. Brandon, thank you for joining us. Good evening. I'm sorry I'm a little late. It it's okay. Uh we the will boredom of the the boredom of this football today just I don't know, put me in a little bit of a coma. I'm bored out of my mind, but the Brady thing at the end helped, but I don't know, it just didn't seem like are those Jets were popping. Yeah, I mean, that was that was a fun game. I mean, we'll have to agree to disagree on the Brady thing because I I thought that PI was was bogus and that the Rams should have won that game. But that's just me. Oh, no question. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm done with Brady. I've had enough. Oh, yes. It's enough. I just, like you're, you're, I mean, he's great. He's great. But I've had enough. You're you're preaching to the New York choir. Uh, well, I've had we'll, enough. Like enough. We'll, we'll we'll jump we'll jump right into it. So one of the things I did see, and uh, this is clearly how we could tell that you're an innovator. You claim to have invented the everything bagel when you were 14. Can you can you go into that a little bit? Sure. Um, I mean, it's a little bit of an evolved story how it comes about because you know when I delivered newspapers when I was 12, and I was trying to get people to buy the route, and I was really struggling in Brooklyn. I grew up in Brooklyn, Kings Highway, Ocean Parkway. You know, all those big apartment buildings. I couldn't get anybody to buy the damn paper. And my mom said to me, you know, you got to stop selling. You, know, you got to start being a solution-based business person. I was like 12. Anyway, um, I go back and knock on this old woman's door who had said no earlier in the week because she didn't want to tip me. And I said, ma'am, I'm going to bring you bagels and milk every Wednesday and Sunday. You would do that for me? I'm like, listen, you're 75 years old. If the weather's bad, I'll, I'll bring you this stuff all the time. And then she turned me on to all these other women and all these other people in the neighborhood. I was delivering a ton of bagels. So I go in the bagel store constantly, pick up bagels for all the different people in the neighborhood. And the guy, Lou, says, would you like to help me bake and make bagels? We start at 4 in the morning. I was 12, 13 years old. I said, sure. And then you can deliver your papers at 7.30. We just need you for three and a half hours because they were baking the bagels for the route. Anyway, after a few months, I was exhausted, and I was falling asleep in school, and I went to him. I was going to quit. And he says, you know, my night baker... Just quit. Would you like that job? I can give you a raise, dollar fifty an hour. So I'm baking the bagels at night, and it's nowhere near the volume I was baking when I was doing it in the morning. Through so baking thousands of bagels, I was bored. So I started screwing around with all these different seasonings: poppy and salt and sesame and garlic and onion. I was just messing around, and, and at one point, there was you know you put these bagels on these boards, and I realized there were all these seeds that I had messed around with with all different versions, and I was everything. And I just threw that on the bagel, and that's how we got the everything bagels. Around 1972, 73, you know, bagels were about seven cents. I know I'm old man now, but I'm, I'm older now. But I look back on that, it was like it was an unbelievable opportunity because I ended up baking bagels and making bagels all through junior high school and high school because they would start opening up all these bagel stores all over the place, and uh, it was a good opportunity for me to get work because you know if you remember the mid 70s, that recession. So it's kind of hard to find work, and I always found a job because you always need the bagel bakers. And I was a young, inexpensive bagel baker. Uh, the everything bagel. Yeah, I, I like whether whether it was you or any or any other person here in New York. I'm certainly grateful because the everything bagel is one of my favorites. 
Uh, and now that they make everything bagel hummus, it's interesting. Mm. It's, yeah, I saw that. It's a l- little different. Not not bad though. Uh, but, I always I always tell people your first idea is not your best idea. Even that was a great idea. Um, you don't want to be an inventor. You want to be an improver. I don't, you know. So I invented that idea, but I didn't make any money off of it. And a lot of people have. You have everything seasoning, everything croissants. I mean, there's a lot of people that have taken advantage of that everything concept. So uh, you always want to be an improver as opposed to being an inventor. And although I've been, been an inventor in a lot of ways with the collectible business, you know, even with collectible exchange now, but back in my Steiner, old Steiner days, um, you know, I, you know, had a big part of really creating a, an industry, which I don't recommend, but because when you have that responsibility, when you, when you're really inventing something, you're doing something for the greater good, not necessarily for yourself. And uh, if you believe in what you're doing, you want it to be better, you want it to be bigger, and sometimes the benefits of that is not always for you personally. I think I benefited quite well, by the way, but, you know, uh, it was, it's, a, it's a lot of work. I don't highly recommend it for all those of you listening. Um, it's, it's a tremendous amount of responsibility when you take on something, uh, even such as a small category, but the collectibles has had a big impact on a lot of people, a lot of players. And uh, I love the way it's grown and how many more people are now collecting cards and everything else, and which kind of leads me to my new business, so it's been great. Um, and finding this next phase of my life, which is really coming up with a really true marketplace instead of the eBay model, which I hate. This is a model of collectible exchange where people can buy and sell. And then I even have the athletes on there in a special category selling direct for the fans. And so it's been my dream to do this for, for like the last eight or ten years. I'm about three years into it, and it's really starting to take off. And as much as I thought I was a great collector and, and creator of collectibles, there's so many cool collectible people out there that are doing really cool work, but you wouldn't know about them. And I'm hoping my platform will be a, will be a, uh, a voice and be able for people that the small guy who's come up with some really cool ideas that he can go on there and have a voice and have a face that, you know, he can show off or she can show off their collectibles. Talking about she, by the way, I, part of the whole version of this is to create the first woman collectible line. So I have like 20 women athletes that I've done, Sue Bird, Tarasi, Alex Morgan, and uh, I've really enjoyed that. It's a slow-moving process. That's, you know, again, the inventing, but I really want to do something great for the women. I love women's sports, and I think there's a lot of girls out there that could be collecting women instead of putting all the man and male stuff up on their walls. They should be able to have their role models of women athletes who are tremendous athletes, and that's my goal, and I've been investing in that part, in that part, of, part of the business. Absolutely. Well, we're going to take a quick break, uh, Brandon. We're going to keep you on the line. We'll have more with you when we come back from our break. Uh, you're listening to WGBB Sports Talk here on 1240 AM and 95.9 FM. We'll be right back. You're listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. And we're back for the second half of Hour 2 of WGBB Sports Talk New York here in Merrick, Long Island. 
I'm Andy Sukoff, and with me is Brandon Steiner, the CEO and founder of Collectible Exchange. So, as we were talking before the break, uh, that you were, that you said you wanted to be an improver, not an inventor. So, one of the things I did see, uh, you know, you you founded a sports bar in night in the in the mid '80s. And you know, I was kind. Of, I would say that was kind of an improvement. As we, like, what was the market for a sports bar back then? Well, you got to remember, I, I started the first. You know, the sports bar thing was like the mid '80s, and there was only a couple sports bars in the whole country. So uh, it was a really new concept. Nobody thought. I remember I was the assistant general manager of the Hard Rock, and my mother's like, "Nobody's going to go to a bar and a restaurant and watch a game." You sure about this? I'm like, I got a feeling like. I want to do something like a hard rock, but I want to do it in sports. So I was on something there, um, you know, having been in, in the early stages, that was only the, that was only the second hard rock that had opened. And I was, I saw something there and, um, you know, I was a really big on the restaurant, food and restaurant business. And, uh, what's funny is, you know, Long Island's always been like my home when I started even Steiner, you know, the, the Steiner store or Holy Heroes in Roosevelt Field and back to the sports bar thing. When I, after I had opened up a bunch of sports bars, LTs, Mickey Mantle, had a great relationship with LT and Mickey and, and, and probably uh, Ron Darling, 17 Murray Street, and a whole bunch of sports bars, I started selling the closed-circuit fights. Because if you remember, I don't know how old you are, Andy, but back in the late 80s and 90s, if you wanted to watch a, a fight, a big fight, you'd have to go to a sports bar or a movie theater to do it. And I would sell the special boxes and the links and go to all different bars, and I had a lot of bars in Long Island that I would sell that to. So I've always had a great, you know, I've opened up so many uh, department stores and sporting goods stores in Long Island. Long Island's been really good to me, very much in my earlier career uh, in many, many ways. So, But, you know, the sports bar thing was, it was another one of those really good ideas I had. I was young. Uh, I had some good experience, but probably not enough to go open up that big chain of sports bars like I was hoping to do. I was only 26, 25 years old at the time, and I still had a little growing up to do. I tell a lot of young entrepreneurs out there that it's one thing to have a great idea. It's another thing to execute it. Don't rush it. You know, It's so important to go get that ground, one-on-one basic experience, how to hire, fire, raise money, run a bank account, you know, how to train people and really be able to build a foundation in a business. It has, that's, that's a really, really important element. Besides having the really good, smart idea, you need those things in order to execute a business. And uh, I don't even know how the whole sports thing just – it's amazing. I wasn't really on a sports track. But lived with a college football player, Division One. whoever would have thunk. Joe Morris was the running back. My roommate was the fullback. And that was really kind of what got me started also, you know, running into Joe and nobody was really doing his marketing in the mid eighties. So I started helping him out and just found my way. Cause you got to remember like in the late eighties, nineties, nobody was really doing a lot of marketing. Agents would call me up and beg me, please take my athletes, see if you can find them some work. Uh, you know, it was most of the agents were lawyers. They didn't really want to deal with the marketing and there wasn't a lot of money in it. Um, I found it, I figured it out and I was opening up Lawrence Taylor and, Carl Banks and John Starks. I was opening up their fan mail in the early 90s. That was the way I developed a relationship with them. I just found a way to they would sit with boxes of fan mail, and I would just sit there and open it up for them. And that's how I developed a relationship with a lot of these guys. But, you know, back in the 90s when I started 
when I decided to do the collectible business along with the marketing of players, I mean, these, these, these guys are looking at me like I'm crazy. You know, Roger Starbuck's like, people are going to buy this? I'm like, yeah. Walter Payton, I mean, I, you know, some of the athletes that I got a chance to work with, you know, some of the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Rick Barry, Clyde was like my idol. Oh, I booked them every which way and always picked them up and drive them. I just want to hang out with them. So it was just kind of amazing. I mean, people don't realize, like, now you get an autographed item. It's not a big deal. But back then, nobody was really doing that in an organized way, let alone getting something that's authenticated and put it on something that's really of good quality. So that was kind of my dream about when I saw the autograph thing. I was like, I'm going to go get magical moments. I'm going to go find really cool things, and then I'm going to find the athletes to sign them. And uh, it worked out pretty good. I I would agree with that. Uh, what what was the like? What would you say is the most important thing when you're when you're forging a relationship with with these athletes? Like, what's the most important thing to just to lay that groundwork? You know, I think that you know something that my mom had taught me at an early age, and going back to the newspaper story. You know, my mother's like, "Stop selling, be a solution based business person." And I thought about that for a long time. And really, what what she was really saying is, "Hey." Start using your common sense. And common sense is, you know, put yourself in someone else's shoes. And it's really, like, it's really empathy. You know, how do you turn your empathy up so you understand what it's like to be in the other person's shoes? And I think when people meet athletes, celebrities, and really people of importance, the immediate thing that goes on ahead is what they can get from them. What can I get from them? Wow, this person's really influential. If I can get a relationship with them, I could do this and I could do that. One of the things my mother taught me is when you meet people, the first thing you should be thinking about is not what you get, but what you give. So when I meet any of these athletes, and I think it's such an important thing when you meet someone, is what can I do for them? What value can I provide? And any value is what you could do for someone that they can't do for themselves. And as big and all the money that these athletes make, they could always use some help with something. And I felt like my job was to figure out what help they needed, whether it's with their charity whether some of them actually needed to make money, they were retired and they hadn't made that much money. But whatever it was, I tried to figure out what they needed, and that was my main focus. And many times in developing these relationships, it was not beneficial to me initially. I was doing things just to get the relationship going, and I figured the rest would take a course. And the guy I was using an example, like Mariano Rivera back in the mid-'90s when he first came up, nobody knew he was going to be Mariano. He would always call me for Lion King tickets. And he'd always call me for a car service. My wife's like, do you believe this guy's calling you for a car service? Like, hey, he's calling me. And the reality is I can get him that car. He's nervous. He's new in the country. He doesn't know. I'm going to help him. And uh, that was the value I provided him, you know, to give him some, you know, some. he was kind of, you know, a little bit more of a not all over the place kind of guy. And, and he found somebody they trusted in me, and he called me up to ask him to do these favors. And every now and then he would come and do some stuff with me. But I never knew it was going to end up being the greatest closer of all time and such a big name. So, you know, when I say to people, it's like, listen, think about what value you can provide, not what value you can get. And you'd be surprised. I don't think value gets talked enough about uh, when you're thinking about, you know, your work and you think about your relationships. And you'd be surprised. Nobody's getting rid of you so quick when you provide value. We're talking with Brendan Steiner. Uh, speaking of value, uh, one of the big things, like I hear in business, is location. And you guys had a prime location in the Roosevelt Field Mall with Hall of Heroes and the Steiner store. I spent many an hour on those lines that would drag mm-hmm. back into like that loading area. Uh, mm-hmm. 
by the kiosks, and I I can think I can run off a who's who of names that I that I walk yeah. through those doors for: Martin Brodeur, Alex Ovechkin, uh, Mike Piazza, Tiki Barber. Uh, what what gave you the idea to do those signings in the store? Well, let me let's roll back. You know, they were that store was one of my first customers when we started the collectible business, and they had run up a really big accounts re, accounts receivable. So I turned to one of my one of my employees and I said, you know, if we're going to give them this kind of credit, we might as well own the damn store. So I called the owner of the store and said, listen, you know, the guy that works for you, I'd like to, I'd like to, I'd, I'd really like to hire him because he's a really good innovator. What do you think about selling me the store? He goes, you know, I'm opening up this thing called Annie Ann's Pretzels. Maybe you want to invest in that. I said, well, I really just want to buy the store. But you can invest in Annie Ann's Pretzels. Ah, I'm not investing in pretzels. That was a stupid move. Forgot about that. But so I called a friend of mine. He invests some money with me to buy the store. I have no idea what I'm doing. And what ends up happening is the guy had a great, great location in that mall. That was one of the keys to the success of that store. So I go over to my key employees. We're going to go fix the store up. We're going to go take the store to another level. And I go in that store and I completely screw it up. Initially, our sales went down. And I think the employees, they were like, how do we get this guy out of the store? He's completely messing up the store. But once I got the hang of it and I really realized the value of that store, which is getting incredible customer feedback, I learned a lot about what people were looking for. You know, so when I started spending time in the store, instead of messing around with what the employees already knew, I used that time to talk to customers. Um, you know, I'm not a big survey guy. You know, it's like if they had surveys, you know, we'd still be in a horse and buggy. You know what I mean? They, they never invented the car. It's like, we're surveying the people who are horse and buggies. Like, okay, get faster horses and more comfortable carriages. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I like to go out and talk to my customers. I like to feel them out, see what they're like, don't like. And even if you know me back in the Steiner days and even now with Collectible Exchange, I often get on the phone with my customers and I really try to talk to them and see what we're doing right, what we're screwing up, what everything else. So that store was, honestly, was a lock. I mean, it was just a guy who went up a big bill. I found somebody to invest with me to buy the store and it ended up being a gold mine. I mean, we had record sales in that store for probably over 25 years. And uh, I love that store. And there's nothing like the people in Long Island that supported it. The names in that store, but you know who was the biggest name that we ever brought into that store? I'm going to give you a little guess on that. The biggest name. Well, let's see. I, I, I know Jeter never showed up, which uh, that, no, that, like that that would that would always grab my gears. Cause we, I, I always I always wanted to meet Derek Jeter. Uh, no lack of trying, though. Not done. I know. Twenty years I begged him, you know, but he just didn't want to do it. But uh, the biggest name, you would be surprised. It was Steve Austin, the wrestler. So I go to the mall, and Steve Austin, a tractor trailer flips over, and he's late. And you talk about that line going into the loading dock. This line was so long, it was insane. And these people were all in character, including Austin. So I'm hanging out, and Austin's, like, not coming out of character. He's acting like Steve Austin. The whole thing was just insane. Um, the whole thing was just complete bedlam. The other biggest appearance that I've ever done, besides Randall Cunningham in Pennsylvania, that they had to close them all down back when he was quarterback for the uh, Eagles, was Mike Richter in New Jersey. They had to keep the mall open for an extra hour. This was like a year or two after they won the Cup. 
and the wine was, and we had to spend, I think it was like a four and a half hour appearance. It was supposed to be two. And, uh, Mike is a very, very generous signer and it was crazy. But I remember opening up, uh, the Bloomingdale's and that was amazing. Um, I've opened up so Smithtown Mall, all the sports authorities. I mean, because you gotta remember before I started the collectible thing, I was really just marketing players and doing many, many store openings. In the early nineties, you were opening up all these Home Depots and Caldors and Bloomingdale's. Everybody was kind of blowing up and vendors would call me up and bring athletes in and draw people to the stores. And that's kind of how I built a tremendous relationship with so many different athletes, not only in New York, but around the country. I'm driving around with Johnny Unitas, man, and in my car, and he's signing footballs in my trunk. And I remember we did like three appearances in one day. I'm like, you know, you try to treasure these moments. You know, when you're with a Gordie Howe and a Bobby Hall and Oscar Robertson, you know, you just don't even realize that I was young and I was on the fly. And you're trying to treasure these moments with these greats. And um, it was just, it was an epic run because I really was one of those guys that I wrote the contracts out. I signed the checks. I went and picked up the players. It was about five years there. Where I was like doing it all. And then things started blowing up in the mid late nineties where I just start, you know, hiring people. And before you know, it were a hundred plus people. And uh, even a collectible exchange now where uh, I think 12 people with a few part timers and growing. But a lot of more of our business is online, and what I love about that is people can. I'm gonna I'm gonna go into the salesman hall of fame here because I'm gonna be the only guy who has sold the same product more than more than once. I'm gonna be selling it two and three times because all my customers that bought so much of my stuff in the past are now putting the stuff up on the exchange and selling it. They're able to trade it in and get new stuff, and I'm able to kind of help them organize it. So it's you know there's a, there's a little bit of a. I was sitting on my couch one night with my wife. My wife said, you know. What do we do with all this stuff? So I did have quite a bit of a collection. Still did. I said, "Honey, you mean if I die? Which I said, if I die, I do not come in this room. I will speak to our kids." And when I spoke to my kids, they were like, "We don't want the stuff, Dad. Don't leave it." And that's really what pushed me to create collectible exchange. Was like, I think a lot of people that are getting older, they have all that. Nobody's been a bigger, better savers than the baby boomer generation. And I want to give them a really solid, classy outlet to be able to kind of. Uh, sell their stuff without being a big ordeal. And uh, we do that, and we have some white glove service because I think some of the older people are not going to sit there and take photos and put stuff up and ship it. So we allow them to ship all their stuff to us, and then they can uh, just allow us to put the stuff up for them and we come up with a profit split. And we're talking with Brandon Steiner. So that that is seems to be like the mission of Collectible Exchange, you know, like a one, like a one-stop hub for buying and selling memorabilia and whatnot like for yeah. for people like me and for and for people like you as well well we do have the island by the way we do have the partnership with the islanders like i'm finding a lot of teams that don't have they don't even have an outlet so you know i'm working there there's nothing like the islander fans jeez and uh, i'm a big blue amarello fan and they, and that, that that's a really nice building they built but um you know so i have partnerships with a bunch of teams as well and they, they have the ability to go build a platform on my platform to be able to sell their collectibles. But you're right. I, I just I just feel like there's a lot of people that have gotten a little older. Maybe they're downsizing and trying to figure out what they have. And um, we offer that service just thinking that I needed that service, and I'm pretty good at the collectible game. So I figure there's a lot of people out there that needed it. And I'll tell you, it's, it's been amazing. Like, you know, it's tough, it's tough to reset yourself and refire 
after, you know, after Steiner was such an epic run, and I felt like I wasn't done. I wanted to do something really different, a 2.0. I didn't want to do another Steiner. I felt like that, that kind of run its course. And this has been a real blessing for me. I mean, I literally have started from square one. I literally have written three books. I went back to my first book, and I literally read it, and I've been following the instructions. And that's basically how I built uh, my first couple of companies was the business playbook that I wrote. And, you know, like, I'll give you an example. Like, I don't know if you remember, like, the Black Lives Matter, the rioting, the virus. So one night my wife's like, where are you? I said, well, I had to run into the city. And what happened was it was this person's 50th birthday, and this woman had called me, and we had uh, sold her a big 86 Met signed photo for her husband's birthday, 50th. So in the middle of that, all that going on, the streets were closed. I go back to my warehouse, and I realized we hadn't shipped the product. So I take the product, I put it in my car, and I drive it into the city that night. My wife's like, you crazy. I said, listen, we promised this lady we were going to ship the gift. We forgot to do it. I don't want to be disappointed. The guy was, you know, it's a gift. And that, those are the things I used to do at the beginning when I was building Steiner. It's like, you know, just being hands-on, being all-in, and, and just taking care of people. And it's just really how I want to set the, and that's what we're doing now. It's like, and I'm following the same strategies, you know, really basic 101. And it's hard after you're running a 50 plus million dollar company with 100 plus employees to sit back and start again with a few employees. Now we, you know, we started with four employees and we went to eight and we have 11 or 12. And this time though, I'm enjoying the process. I'm enjoying the road. Even though it's a grind and there's, you know, it'd be nice to have somebody go change the light bulb and another person go get me lunch and blah, blah, blah. The other day I was like emptying the garbage around the office. <laughs> like, but you know, you get into it and, and then it's, it's the best way to go build something is to, from the ground up is get your hand, roll your sleeves up and you gotta dig that hole yourself. You gotta pour the cement. You gotta get the platform built right. And, uh, I always say there's always room, no matter how crowded the space is, there's always room for, for the best. You know, if you want to do something great, there's always room for it. And uh, I've been really just, it's just been amazing, the outpouring. You know, I have all the, all the loyalty, you know, the amount of customers that I've touched over the years. They've stuck with me. You know, I've been really, really, really grateful that to have the customer base that believe in what I'm doing and they know whatever I'm coming up with is going to be a good thing and they, they get behind it. So it's been a really good venture. And, um, you know, it's nice to see, like, when you have you dream at my age and still make those dreams, you know, kind of come, you know, happen without it being a big ordeal. That's for sure. Uh, one of the things I saw on the Collectible Exchange site was the Athlete Direct, where players can put their own stuff up on on the site. Uh, one of the things I, I was curious about, uh, with, like, the uh, name, image, and likeness rules in college sports now, that where we can now see those guys get paid for autographs and doing ads and whatnot. Everything. <laughs> is, 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 there, is there an ability for you to tap into that market as well through collectible exchange? Absolutely. I mean, we're, we have a few NIL players on there now. And right now I'm working with about five colleges to kick off. You know, the way my mind works is like, especially in these days, and I'm not saying I've never been a money grabber. You know, oh, I got a great idea. I'm going to make a shitload of money. Great. But like, you know, I'm, I'm a lot more strategic than people think, and I, I'm a big, uh, you know, I'm a dream big 
sample small, fail quick. And like with the NIL thing, it is there is a lot of money grabbing and a lot of moving parts. But I want to if I'm going to go bring NIL into this, I want to make sure I do it right. So I teamed up with a few schools, Villanova, Ohio State, Syracuse, and really just trying to come up with a good formula. And a lot of what I'm doing is more around the team. So I go and I'm approaching a team signing, an ability for the fan base to go do a meet and greet with the team. Uh, the kids are, are doing some uh, social media posts, and they're signing a team football, a team basketball, and that kind of thing. And then if there's a few stars on the team, I have them sign some additional pieces. This way everybody feels like they're involved, and it doesn't become an issue where there's just a couple players getting the money, which is really my whole issue with the NIL thing, by the way. It's like it's great that kids are getting the money, but only a certain percentage and actually a small fraction of the kids are really getting it. And my thing is, like, I'd like to see more of the kids get some money at least, and that's kind of my goal in approaching the NIL thing. Um, I think the other thing is you got to be very targeted. You know, this is, you know, we're sitting here in New York. Like, do we really care about Ohio State? You know, other than if you're an Ohio State alum, so you got to be careful when you're coming up with these product ideas. They don't really have full national attention, so you have to get really zoned in on this particular market, know who your customer is, and know how you're going to get to them. As much as I love Syracuse, and I love Syracuse, that's my alma mater, I know that other than Syracuse alumni and the people in upstate New York, it's not going to be easy to market that product. So i got to be in line with a couple of the stores up there, Qs.com, and maybe the bookstore, and then now I've got something I can size up. So it's a little bit of a different approach when, as opposed to, you know, selling Mariano or Mark Messier, who's got, you know, national attention. If you're a hockey fan, even though you may not be a Ranger fan, you still love Mark Messier, or if you're not a Yankee fan, but you still may want to collect Mariano Rivera. No matter how great that Syracuse player is, unless you go to Syracuse, a little up at Syracuse, you're probably not collecting them for the most part. So, you know, you've got to be a lot more focused on the marketing end and knowing who your customer is and how you're going to get to them with the NIL. And that's why you're not seeing a lot more product plays with the, with the athletes. Where you're seeing a lot of the NIL is with social media posts and in some advertising. Then you're seeing some alumni cheat the system because they just want to give the athletic department the money. So they'll hire the player and they'll just let the player do whatever. And that's one of my other problems I have with the system is some of the bigger schools and some of the big alums that can afford to throw an athlete six figures and not really care what happens is giving a lot of these schools a very unfair advantage. We're talking with Brandon Steiner. I got a couple more for you. Uh, so just like, you know, just like, I, well, the people that you work with on a daily basis, I, I imagine you're a collector as well. You had, met, you had mentioned your your own collection in your office. What would you say is your favorite piece of your own personal collection? Well, believe it or not, I really have started to uh, liquidate my collection and use some of that money for charity. I have a couple couple things. One of them is the 611th gold stick for Messier. I was one of those guys, like, I just get really focused on what I'm doing, and, you know, I probably missed a few opportunities. Like, Rangers win the cup. I'm not going, you know, come over to the locker room. Like, I can't. I'm too busy. You know, I'm not one of those guys. Like, when I get locked in and have an ability to go do something great, I'm not letting some of the flash and the flare get in the way. But Mark had come up one day out of nowhere and just stops in my office and goes, you know, I scored the 611 last night. Why don't you have the stick? I was like, wow. I love that. And I had – um my, my Thurman Munson autograph was one of my most favorite items. Uh, I recently sold it in an auction, so that was kind of cool. I've got a bunch of letters from athletes that thank me or, or just connecting with me from Hank Aaron to George Steinbrenner, different letters that I've accumulated over the years. 
Um, I also, Charles Fazzino, that pop artist, you know, I took him to one of his first sporting events and we put a whole product line together, which he's done extremely well, uh, with sports, pop art. Uh, if you're, anybody out there collects Charles Fazzino. So I've got a bunch of Fazzinos. Just, you know, some of the stuff that I've created that I was kind of the first to do is kind of the stuff that I'd like to collect. I'm a quirky collector. I still have all my ticket stubs, for example, since I'm like, you know, high school concerts and you know, I've been at thousands of thousands of sporting events literally and I have to, I just started separating all the ticket stubs because now ticket stubs are collectible. So I've got my ticket stubs from all these Super Bowls that I've been to and the six overtime game with Syracuse and UConn and I mean I've been going through I mean I'm trying to remember all these games and some of my I can't believe I can't believe I was at that game. I forgot about that. So it's just been amazing. Uh and you know if you've got ticket stubs out there, those are valuable now. So, you know, you never know what's going to be collected. Because my wife was always, why are you saving all these ticket stubs? You're crazy. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I love my ticket stubs. I don't know. Sure enough, boom. Well, you, um, well, you, you and I do have that in common because I, I keep the ticket stubs myself. Yeah. And it, it bothers me that all the tickets are on. Like, while it's super convenient for them to be on the phone and just scan in, it's nice to have that physical ticket. And you know, I'm with you, but I am with you. And eventually I want to take those and do something creative with it and just got to figure out what that something is going to be. I think I'm going to build a Lucite coffee table, you know? And uh, and in, in this Lucite box, I'm going to put all my ticket stuff because they're so colorful and so unique and unusual. You see, the one thing I think about the ticket stuff thing, which you're right, I'm with you. I'm very disappointed about this whole online thing. I love having that physical ticket. But I think this is where the NFT could be coming into play. So, like, the Aaron Judge thing, if you're at one of those games where you're potentially going to hit that home run, I mean, that's where you get the NFT and you can go get this physical, really creative ticket. I don't know what the Yankees were thinking because it was really not that cool what MLB did with some of those tickets. Like, if you really put an artist on that ticket stuff, so if you're at a famous game or a potential really cool game, you can go buy a digital ticket that really is cool and the option to get the physical one, like that gets my attention. And that's maybe where I see the NFT creeping in. But now again, an NFT at inexpensive, like 25 bucks, 30 bucks, and you're getting this really cool artistic limited edition ticket, that gets my attention. And the Yankees used to do that. And the Garden used to do that. They used to hire artists, and they, they'd really come up with really cool ticket stubs, and then they kind of got a little bit away from it. But I was a big fan of the ticket stub. And I just got one last one for you. Sure. Uh, through, like, through your all the years of collecting and meeting with people and, you know, forging relationships with all the athletes, was there ever a, something, like either a piece or an athlete, that you never got to to work with or acquire that, like, that would be like your white whale? Like, who or what would that be? You know, it's funny you say that because, you know, up until about five years ago, I had two athletes that I hadn't really done much with or anything with, and it was really bumming me out. One was Mike Piazza, who I ended up doing some stuff with, who had this thing in his mind that he just wanted to wait till he got in the Hall of Fame. And then once he got in, he started opening up and doing stuff and Patrick Ewing. So, you know, I'm a Syracuse guy, and I, David Falk is, is the really the founder of the Falk School. So I went to David. I'm, I'm the chair of that school, the sports management school. And David was saying, you know, Brian, you've done a great job. I'm like, David, please, you need to get me with Patrick Ewing. I'm like, he goes, I'm going to set up a lunch. So we go to Georgetown. I meet him for lunch. And I'm sitting down. And we're at this table at the Four Seasons. And, you know, he's so big. 
his knees were like five inches off the table, and it was. And I've seen Patrick before; I've met him, but I, I just really have not really done anything with him. So I don't know what the hell to say. I'm trying to get him to sign autographs. He hates signing autographs. So I turn to him. I go, Patrick, you're one of the greatest centers of all time, greatest college center of all time. I think you're the greatest Nick of all time. I mean, defensively, offensively, you're the complete center and, and one of the greatest 50 players in ever NBA history. You only made one mistake. You went to a really, 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 I don't want to use the language, school, Georgetown. I don't know what a Hoya is. I don't know where you got your education from, but that school is it's garbage. You know, now Syracuse Georgetown has this robbery. Oh, yeah. He gets up. He gets in my face. He's like, I messed your boys up. I, my record was this. I scored that. I mean, it was like rattling. The whole restaurant was like looking at him like it was just a moment. And I was like, well, I'm brand. I think you overdid it. And he sits back down. And he goes, you know, I like you, man. Well, I'll do it. I'll, I, I'll do this. And that was like the last guy that I hadn't really gotten that I really wanted. Um, and we ended up having a good relationship, and we, we ended up doing a bunch of signings and, and a couple of appearances, too. I did his first car show up in Westchester, and uh, well, it was awesome. Well, Brandon, we're out of time. I want to thank you for joining me tonight, and we will certainly do this again. Hey, anytime, man. Great show. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. That was Brandon Snyder. That does it for me tonight. Of course, thank you to Brandon Snyder, my man Brian Gray's behind the glass, and all of you for listening. I'll be back again in a month. You're not going to want to miss it. And hopefully the Jets are going to be 10-3 and 3 when I come back. Have a good night. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.